Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 52. The Screwtape Letters, Letter 26. What have you done for me lately? Well, welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Matt, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. So, Matt, this episode, A Little Bird Told Me, this episode is coming out on your birthday. Is that right? Yes, the big three O. Wow, you are such a child. I'm sorry. No, I mean I. I let no one it's despise true. you because of your youth. That's the. That's what I meant to say. You know, not only is my age make me young, but I also look like I'm 22 still. I've been told I've got the baby face look, and it was brutal in high school. Oh, I'm sure it was brutal in college. Um, you know, it's starting to be okay. But I still, as a man, you don't like to look like a little boy. But I know when I'm 40, I will be very grateful for having a youthful-looking face. But I'm, I'm, I'm not quite yet there where it's a, it's an asset. I took my, uh, my grandson. He was, or my, my, uh, my nephew, uh, Timmy. He's about nine when we went out, and we were, we went out to have a hamburger or something, um, Applebee's or somewhere. And uh, somebody, the, our hostess said, "Is, uh, would you like a booth or a table for you and your grandson?" <laughs> yeah so that's part of why i'm growing my hair out now it's like okay it's gonna be gray i'm gonna we're just gonna go for it we're just gonna lean into it yeah this to go from baby face and then all of a sudden you're swinging into the senior citizen parking uh parking spaces that's gonna be me really quickly because i guess i have a little bit of gray hair on my right of my head and <laughs> it's been a patch that's never grown but my friend the other day told me he thinks it's growing and so i might go from baby face to silver Locks of silver soon. Yeah, but as a blonde, they'll, uh, they'll barely be able to know the difference. Well, <laughs> some exciting things happening in the last week and since we last recorded in the C.S. CS Lewis world. Um, uh, what happened yesterday? Yesterday was one of the better blessings of this podcast, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. And I was excited for it. And we've shared this with our listeners many times leading up to it. And I was very excited for the private tour of the kilns through the Zoom. Mm -hmm. and But it just surprised me, one, to the upside of the actual experience of being able to talk with the president of the C.S. Lewis Foundation, Stephen, Steve Elmore. And I think I'm saying that right, Elmore. Yeah. Uh, and then Ty, who is our guide. And then is it Elizabeth, who is a camera. She did an incredible job. It was just such a blessing to see all of that. And then Andrew is a co-guide because he had all this wisdom having lived there. And so he was feeding off a of Ty and they were playing into some great stories. But you know what really touched me after the fact was we ended up jumping on a Google Meet yeah. And that was unexpected, unplanned. But I yeah. just remember being disappointed in the tour, nothing with the tour, but the fact that we couldn't interact with each other, which mm -hmm. is the only way you can do it. Of mm -hmm. course, you can't have a bunch of faces talking. And so I thought to myself, I really want to just chat with the listeners after this, the supporters. And so we jumped onto a Google Meet and people shared stories of their favorite books, which Andrew, you did a wonderful job facilitating that mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. They shared their ways that Lewis has impacted their life. People talk about the podcast, the way it's impacted their life. There were some tears going on. 
on. Mm. I got the sense everyone loved the community and that's something I really want to do monthly where I'm just going to throw it out on like a Monday and say, whoever's free Saturday evening, I'm not doing anything. Let's all jump on a Google Meet, whoever wants to. And if 10, 15, 20, 30 of our supporters jump on, oh, that'll be so much fun. That's fantastic. And maybe we can uh, toss out a couple of questions, you know, question of the month just so folks can come in, you know, armed with something to talk about. But one of the things that I, uh, I agree with you, that was just marvelous. And listeners, pay, uh, supporters, uh, uh, slackers, we just loved seeing your faces and getting to talk mm-hmm. to you, with you all as if we were in the room. And um, uh, the question that we asked was, what's your favorite Narnia book and why? And there were maybe 20 people. And you know what? No one said Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. That was interesting. So I think that that's all kind of an honorary first for us because that's what got us into the wardrobe, most of us. So so anyway, uh-huh. that was fantastic. Yes, thanks again to Steve Elmore and to Ty and Elizabeth. I actually just messaged all three of them saying, okay, tell me what the price is of a pint wherever you are. I want, you, want to buy you a drink. That um, was so cool. Yeah. So, well, and we have some, uh, it's been a busy week. On Tuesday, I was invited by Max McLean uh, to to hear the first 15 scenes of his follow-up to Most Reluctant Convert. So I was honored to be on a Zoom call where he read 15 scenes from what's uh, the working title is Further Up, Further In. And there were wonderful people on that call. Hal Poe, uh, Steve Beebe was there. Jerry Root was there. It was hosted by the Wade Center. So David and Crystal Downing were there. Crystal Hurd was on the call. Um, so Joel Heck, just a just a star-studded gala of Lewis uh, scholarship and and other folks, and so honored by Max's humility mm. and his deep gift uh, in crafting another play and devoted his devotion to Lewis's uh, life and work, and then to really kind of open himself up to the kind of feedback that that he was asking for. So. Uh, so pray for that project. Pray for Fellowship mm-hmm. for Performing Arts. Uh, support them. Fi- find out what's going on. Uh, there's oftentimes uh, in COVID, they have done a number of of live performances, Shadowlands and Great Divorce and and some others. So uh, cheers to Max. I was thinking as you was listening, that name, those names off of people. In every one of them, I was like, oh, what a wonderful, that person's got such a great heart, a great humility, great spirit, great. Mm-hmm. And so Jerry Root, I mean, the talks I've heard him give, incredible. Stephen Beebe. Yeah. There's a couple others that you listed, even and then people you didn't list that have been on this show, Di- Dr. Diana Glyer, yourself. You know how Patty Callahan, all these people that have a love for Lewis, there's just something about their spirit too. And that's not a coincidence. Lewis brings out the best in people. Like it, I think he so. really calls us up to a charity and humility and his spirit comes through the works and starts transforming us. And I also think his prayers up in heaven are transforming us. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that all of my favorite like Lewis scholars are just incredible, kind human beings. Oh, that's uh, that's really, I think, wisely and generously observed. And it reminds me that Diana was on that call and mm. kind of the absolute reigning monarch of what you're talking about is Marge Mead. And those of you who haven't had a chance to meet Marjorie, uh, Dr. Marjorie Mead from the Wade Center. Uh, mm-hmm. Just an incredible, she's the associate director. She's the memory trace. She was there very early on with Dr. Kilby and 
uh, just an amazing, faithful, godly, prayerful woman and wise and loving and generous. She holds her tongue. And so the words are are like apples of gold. And she was on that call too. And, and she actually once remarked um, that she had been to other conferences and just would kind of liter- literary conferences, had to get away. Uh, but when she goes to a Lewis conf- conference, even as an introvert, she wants to stay around those people. And she doesn't mm-hmm. need to recharge. And that's why I love Lewis events, where the foundation is hoping to be to do Oxbridge next uh, next summer. The plans are underway. And listeners, if there's any way that you can go, it is the closest thing to heaven on earth that I've ever been to. Uh, I think great. I might try to go. Oh, really? Oh, good. <laughs> so there's a couple of pubs I want to take you to, um, and we will uh, we'll toast our toast our uh, our slackers over there. So. It's really uh, an amazing, amazing experience. Great speakers, great events. You know, Oxford is a walking town. You could walk from the Eagle and Child to Lewis's rooms at Maudlin at about 10 mm-hmm. minutes, mm-hmm. 15 minutes. And so, um, yeah, so that's coming up. Because of you and, uh, and David, I was invited to join the, the good folks at the Inklings Variety Hour. Had a great time. They're going through till we have faces, and we had a wonderful mm-hmm. time talking about chapter nine, chapter ten, chapter eleven. Um, great folks. And then our final piece of exciting news. Yes, sir. But now let me give you a tiny little brief. Uh, we're we're running a little long. This is my fault. But this was remember when I ran into Patty Callahan, listeners, or you or maybe I didn't mention it on here yet because I haven't talked about it. I haven't actually done an episode since I was in Savannah. But when I was in Savannah, I ran into her and saw her at the gym, and I'm like, "Is your name Patty?" Because <laughs> I couldn't quite recognize her. <laughs> and she said yes, and we started chatting. And uh, she told me a secret of a project she's been working on, and I couldn't say it, and neither could David. And so we were sworn to secrecy. And and so, and Andrew's known for week, months before that. And so it is now announced already. So this isn't the announcement, but it's a good chance for you guys to know if you don't hear about Lewis News. So Andrew, what do we got? Well, thank you. And uh, my wife and I were honored by Patty's trust and love and, and friendship. We actually got to, to read through the uh, first couple of drafts of a new novel by Patty Callahan, author of, uh, of Becoming Mrs. Lewis. She has an imaginative novel about uh, a young woman, a university student who attends Oxford in 1950, and her, uh, her brother is dying of cancer, but taken by the, uh, by the Narnia stories. And mm-hmm. so to try to find out where Narnia came from, uh, this young lady in this imaginative uh, uh, fictional tale uh, tracks down uh, Lewis and gets to know where Narnia came from. And so there's a brand new book coming out on a new imprint on HarperCollins, and this is the flagship uh, initial launch. The novel is called Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. And the release date is the 19th of October of this year. So I uh, just saw a sneak peek of cover art, which actually isn't released until Thursday. And uh, it's going to be a marvelous, marvelous read. Well, now that we know it'll be released by the time this episode's released, David can change like the artwork you see in the podcast app. So we'll make sure David has that in there so you guys can see the cover. Absolutely. So... Well, good. There's actually a lot of some of what we've been talking about so far uh, in our episodes. So I'm looking forward to uh, to diving in with you. Yeah. Well, let's jump to the uh, song of the week. And for time's sake, maybe we uh, skip a few of all of the listener suggested ones. There's a lot and jump to the one that we chose. Yeah, but we want to acknowledge John Marr for, uh, for all of his good suggestions. Um, so yes, letter 26. And our song is... What Have You Done For Me Lately by Janice Jack. 
Janet Jackson. <laughs> Excellent. Janice Jackson? That's way <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We're, we're just not doing well with names today. Oh, that last verse. I never ask for more than I deserve. You know it's the truth. You seem to think you're God's gift to this earth. I'm telling you no way. You ought to be thankful for the little things, but little things are all you seem to give. What have you done for me lately? That's going to make a ton of sense when we get into this chapter about the way screw tape really messes with a couple and particularly the way people show love and the miscommunication on how love is shown and people's ways of being unselfish com- actually competing with each other. Yes. So that's going to really make sense soon. So shall I hit him with the quote of the week? Let's hit it. All right. Here's from letter 26. Screwtape says, courtship is the time for sowing those seeds which will grow up 10 years later into domestic hatred. I thought about like just stopping it right there because that's just strong. <laughs> yes. And it, it recalls one of the first letters where it says, bring up that season, that habit of domestic hatred. Uh, mm-hmm. The enchantment of unsatisfied desire produces results which the humans can be made to mistake for the results of charity. Avail yourself of the ambiguity in the word love. Let them think they have solved by love problems they have in fact only waived or postponed under the influence of the enchantment. While it lasts, you have your chance to foment the problems in secret and render them chronic. Mm. Wow. There's so much we could say there, but well, that's <laughs> we pretty will. much right in the beginning of the chapter. So we're going to end up touching that in about five minutes. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that in order to face all the truths about love, I think I probably need a drink. What about you? Ah, yes. And I see uh, you're with uh, the old classic goodie. Ah, I got my Lagavulin 16. I missed that bottle while I was was away in Florida. Mm. And I poured myself a healthy dram, so I'm going to take two drops of water. I've got a Glengone, and it's a 12-year age, which Glengone must be actually a popular brand because I've never heard of it before, but I mean, this thing in your book has 10 year, 12 year, 15, 18, okay. 25, 26, 35, 32, 40. So yeah, you're going up that big. You've got some, I think I'm a Callum brand. Yeah. Glenn Goyne. It sounds like there's a, a bunch of it. What oh, What are the attributes of it? Do you know? Yeah. So it's a soft yellow gold, which, gold, which always scares me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just, whenever I think soft yellow, I think to myself, oh, that just means there's not a lot of substance, but yep. I'll try not to judge. <laughs> On the nose, it's definitely got a very strong green apple flavor. Oh, yours is rich in amber. Oh, oh yes. This is the Lagavulin 16, and the color is full amber. Yes, unreal. And the opposite. That's about all I get on the, the nose is really the green apple. That's a dominant smell. Mine is sea spray and peat smoke, and it stings the back of the nose. Oh, yes. This is the Ron Swanson scotch. Oh, you know what? That's pretty good. Oily. Definitely oily. More more medium than I thought it was going to be. Mm, the palate mine says peaty dryness like gunpowder tea. As the palate develops, oily, grassy, and salty notes emerge. And the finish is peat fire, warming a bear hug. You know, this one, there's not a lot on your tongue. It's really just slippery, oily, so it's going down. And then it hits your throat with that peppery spice. Okay. I like that kind of development. I prefer less on the tongue because the tongue's so sensitive. And then I prefer it to hit me in the back of the throat. So actually, I actually I like how this one plays out. But it doesn't give it a good score. It gives it a 68. Oh, boy. I'd go above that. Okay. I'd give it like a 75. Well, this is a 95 here. 
try when you take a sip, um, opening your mouth a little and breathing in through your nose too. <laughs> that didn't work out so well for Andrew. <laughs> There's that bear hug. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, our Patreon. <laughs> Matt's struggling now too. How about our Patreon toast? Great. Well, one of the benefits for our gold level supporters on Patreon was that we toast one of them each episode. Um, and was it, what was our, what's the, the level for the, the Kilns tour yesterday? Is that gold level as well? Uh, we let everyone. Oh, everybody. No what level. Slack okay. is the one that you have to be second level or above. Okay. Um, but yeah, every anyone who is giving anything to us, even if it was, honestly, some people could have just did $2, then they can cancel it next week if they want. We'll be fine. We're just like, anyone who's given financial support, we're just so appreciative of any value and amount. Yeah, well, that's great. And also, I know that a number of our of our uh, visitors to the kilns yesterday made a donation to help the, the kilns, and we're grateful for that. But mm -hmm. our Patreon gold level supporters, and we toast one of them each week. And this week, we are happy to toast Paul Porter. We raise our Paul, glass to you. We raise our glass to you. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us, and I know it means the world to Lewis to help spread his ministry. So thank you, Paul. Yes, to Paul. To Paul. Cheers. Our listeners are like, finally, the chapter summary. This is what <laughs> happens when Matt hasn't recorded for over seven weeks. We're March 14th, and I left for skiing in February 1st, and I haven't recorded since then. So sorry, guys. If it sounds like it's just me and Matt chumming around, it really is. Uh, Bye Tip Jack <laughs> is a great excuse to just to develop and maintain our friendship. And so yes. we're always grateful for each other's company. Well, chapter summary. Great. Cue that music. Wormwood wants to use this time of courtship to sow seeds of domestic hatred, which will flourish later in their relationship. Screwtape enthusiastically agrees. He says Wormwood should encourage the patient to mistake romantic enchantment for Christian charity. Clever. Mm. He also wants him to replace charity with unselfishness. In particular, he wants Wormwood to lean on the differing understandings between the different sexes concerning the meaning of this word. Eventually, the enchantment will lessen in the paucity. Oh, thanks, David. Yeah, he really threw that one in to screw me up. <laughs> He's laughing right now as he listens to this. And the paucity of the couple's spiritual resources will be revealed. Coupled with poor communication, resentment will build and their relationship will sour. And guys, Letter 26 was published in The Guardian on October 24th, 1941. I'm teaching screw tape in a community group in my church, and then we have a weekly class on mere Christianity, and I'm writing a foreword for Diana Glyer's uh, class, who's doing a volume on mere Christianity. I've been thinking about that quote from Lewis where he says, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And I just mm -hmm. love how fresh Lewis's insights are. Even you know, this is eighty years, eighty years on almost, and uh, and he's still speaking to us. I think some of the things maybe in this letter are dated, but you know, when I did the talkbacks for Max at Screwtape Letters, um, people would say, "Why is this so fresh?" And I, one of the things that's wonderful about Max McLean and Fellowship for Performing Arts is that Max changes as little as he can and adds as little as he can. And so his entire performance of Screwtape on stage, he's only changed one word. And wow. so, yeah. So he, he changed the word uh, like air raids to terrorist attacks. 
Mm. And everything else is, but it feels so contemporary. And that's certainly some of what we see here. It's a, it's a kind of a rueful mirror that Screwtape holds up to us in this letter. Well, now Dave, Andrew and I have the fun challenge of cramming in a great letter in 35 minutes. So Andrew, <laughs> think we can do it? I think we can do it. Let's do it. All this right. one, I'll tell you what, the beginning just packs a punch. It does. It was right what you did out of the beginning and the quote of the week mm -hmm. where he says, yes, courtship is a time for sowing those seeds, which will grow up 10 years later into domestic hatred. What did you make of that, Matt? I first thought this is one of the sentence packs, the most punch I've ever seen in a sentence with really clever words. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of strong words in your courtship. Sowing of seeds. I mean, that's a vivid language. Mm -hmm. Grow up later into domestic hatred. Like, first of all, there's a lot in there. But I would say it was, part of it was um, a little scary because I would argue that for most people who aren't called to a life of celibacy or anything like that, dating is practically one of the most common things or courtship, whatever word you want to use. So most of us will end up going through this process. And to know that this is one of the most fertile grounds for screw tape to mess with us is a little scary, but it makes sense because Lewis talks about mere Christianity. The greatest virtues can become the greatest vices. Well, mm -hmm. because I believe marriage is that sacrament that can help bring us to holiness and can be infused with God's divine grace. It doesn't surprise me that the opposite can be dangerously true too. A tool that can bring us towards sanctification is also a tool that can bring us towards, I wish I had a clever way to offset sanctification towards Satan, but it can bring us to um, screw tapeification. <laughs> That's the word we're going to do. Well, and this phrase domestic hatred, um, it comes up a couple of times and you'll, mm -hmm. your, our readers and listeners will remember it from letter from chapter three, letter three. In civilized life, domestic hatred usually expresses itself. Uh, by saying things which would appear quite harmless on paper. And he also talks about the settled habit of domestic hatred. And I want to lean into that word hatred um, a little mm -hmm. bit. And uh, I don't think anybody would want to admit that they are hateful people. But uh, in Mere Christianity, where Lewis says that, um, that hatred kind of starts by wishing the black were a little blacker. Mm -hmm. And if there's somebody that I don't like, and then they do something kind of dumb or you know they do something to their discredit if i enjoy the fact that they are disgraced because of their own foolishness what that is frankly are the seeds of hatred because if i keep nourishing this enjoyment of their misfortune and i do that for 50 or 100 or 5000 years it will look like nothing else besides the blackest hatred mm -hmm. and so i think that uh, he's already tried to get hatred going between the patient and his mother, and now he's trying to to sow hatred into the, his closest domestic relationship for the rest of his life, and at a period mm. when everything's all hearts and flowers. Wow. There's so many things I want to say, but honestly, I was listening, I'm like, huh, Andrew just nailed that. <laughs> Seriously. Well, no, I was like, there's no point adding anything. You said everything I'd want to say. One of the things that I think is is worth kind of paying attention to is that here the patient has become a Christian. That's the greatest love in his life. And now he's going to get married. That's the next greatest love in his life. And the previous greatest love in his life had been the love for his mother. And so Screwtape, if we are at all in any kind of love relationship, 
that's going to really piss Screwtape off. And he's going to do what he can to mess with that relationship, whether it's with God, whether it's with our family members, whether it's with our significant others. If love is starting to show up, Screwtape is going to be on the scene. And I don't know what happens. <laughs> Dave is going to laugh when he's listening to this back. His classic Matt has not. I'm reading the chapters I need to read and not the ones in between. Uh-huh. But the one you guys just did and that was released and you guys crushed it. Honestly, uh-huh. you guys did a phenomenal job. But that was about he, the patient entered into a relationship that was actually like a high quality relationship. And Screwtape did not like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if in between that letter, I don't even know what letter that was, and this isn't going to be released for another three or four weeks, so there's going to be some <laughs> in between, but if that's all about love and these relationships, but clearly Screwtape hates when you are with someone that can hold up that mirror to you and help you grow in holiness. Like mm-hmm. that is a scary thing. And it mm-hmm. goes to that book that I'm reading, The Meaning of Marriage, and still reading for the last three months. Mm-hmm. But I always pick it up and I go about 20 or 30 pages and I'm inspired by what marriage and love is in the spiritual journey. What a tool. And mm-hmm. I don't like the word tool because it's not like you're, it's like a useful thing you use, but God did kind of intend it to help bring us closer to him. And that's yeah. what scares Screwtape. Well, and Kristen and I are still newlyweds. I mean, we've only just uh, just celebrated our fourth anniversary. And I'm sure David and Marie are beginning to figure out, you know, just what a jerk David is. <laughs> <laughs> That but, only took me a month. <laughs> <laughs> but it does hold up a, hold us up, uh, Amir. Um, my wife says, I never knew how often I lost my keys until I got married. And now because Andrew notices it all the time, you know, so, and, and she sees the same things in me and, and those things, like the letter says, is fertile ground for, for these resentments. Well, let's see what he says about enchantment. Mm. This was actually my favorite part. Me too. And I found it so true. The enchantment of unsatisfied desire produces results which the humans can be made to mistake for the results of charity. So the enchantment of sexual desire and romantic desire, mm-hmm. okay, when you're starting in a relationship and you, you know, and you haven't haven't come together, it's not not complete, not fulfilled. And you fall in love. And of course, in the four loves, which we'll talk about next season, the two components of love, of romantic love, are Eros, which is sexual, and Venus, which is romantic, is how (gasps) Lewis opens that up, right? Andrew, okay. I didn't realize that's what that was saying. So actually- yeah, I understood a lot of what that was saying. I didn't understand that unsatisfied desire was if you're kind of following a chastity type relationship, there's like that sexual desire is unsatisfied. That makes a lot more sense. And I remember I was listening to a, a Christian couple on a YouTube channel that I really enjoy. And for people that are are single or in a relationship, it's called Tori and Chad Masters. They do a beautiful job. Um, come from a different faith background than myself, but I love them. And they talk about how, I can't remember exactly how it says, but you continue to really get to know each other in the relationship. But like once you have sex, things really change. And that's why you're supposed to wait until marriage for that. And they're very big espousers of that because some dynamic just switches. But when you're in that stage where it's unsatisfied, you're still growing and you're getting to know the person. And I remember there was so much truth to that. This makes more sense now why you're like serving or be self-sacrificial because there's something you're still kind of <laughs> unsatisfied and you're, 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 you're working towards, I guess, and you should be. Absolutely. And when you're enraptured with somebody, it's really easy to be unselfish. It's really easy to want to go out of your way to do 
you know, and all of this, uh, all of this doing, and this is what screw tape says, avail yourself of the ambiguity in the word love. Let them think that they have solved by love problems they have in fact only waived or postponed under the influence of the enchantment. While at last you have your chance to foment the problems in secret and render them chronic. So I'm willing to overlook a multitude of sins when I'm in love. And especially if there's mm-hmm. a, a, an element of physical desire. Mm-hmm. All the more if it's going to be my Christian spouse. You know, I'm in love with them. I find them endlessly fascinating, endlessly attractive. I don't feel like I'm worthy. And so I'm willing to do anything. Some of it, I think, is out of fear that they'll see us and find us out and, and then go away. Some of it is just the slavish devotion of love that that all lovers have experienced. And that's why there's love poetry for the last thousands of years. But to mistake enchantment for actual caritas, love, unconditional love, agape, um, that's the great temptation that Screwtape's having him work on here. Mm-hmm. I think of that... Uh... I'm sometimes a bit practical and I think of psychology talks about the uh, oxytocin and dopamine that are all firing in the beginning, that puppy love stage, yep. six, nine, 12 months it takes. And we're, we're a lot of times blinded to the, the reality of who the other person is. Our expectations are really high. We've actually created a, a fantasy of who they are and this fantasy to fulfill our potential desires. And obviously there's a journey, which we'll get to later in this letter of a lot of that fantasy will end up being toned down by reality as time goes on and there's going to be a journey with that. No, absolutely. Well, and I love how he says it postpones or waves problems. Um, Mm -hmm. And the problems are there. We just don't care about them because of the enchantment. It's almost an intoxication. It's almost like an addiction where I've got to get that dopamine and the being with the person makes all the other problems go away. The thing about marriage, and I'm only four years in, is it's a great marriage when I'm in love, but also the problems are there. And because of the love, not just the love that I feel, but the commitment and the vow that I've made, that I, then I can look at those problems once they have been, I've postponed them long enough and they rear their ugly heads. And then I can really start to go, okay, am I really going to love this person? And that's why the Judeo-Christian idea of chastity until marriage mm-hmm is so important because our culture has that flipped around by and large. You know, and you see it portrayed in TV shows and everybody's ripping each other's clothes off and whatever. But the desire, the physical desire, frankly, the the sexual desire um, for someone else, unsatisfied, leads me to measure, do I want this person just because of my physical and romantic attraction? Do I want them enough to make a lifelong vow and a lifelong mm-hmm. commitment before I f- have any of that satisfaction? And oftentimes the answer can be no, and that's a good that's a good no to have. Do I want to be in relationship with this person until we're both in wheelchairs, right? And that's a the, that's a switch that we can that that kind of makes. That's the um, number one thing I share. Rather than trying to break down the theology of chastity or trying to do scripture verses and exegesis to convince that chastity is a thing, when I talk to young individuals, I state the practicality of it. And it's exactly what you just said. Chastity, you already have this puppy love that's firing dopamine, that's hitting, that's masking you from really evaluating the relationship. Imagine when you throw on that sexual desire and satisfaction, mm-hmm. you're not going to be really questioning whether you enjoy being with this person, you're in a friendship. It's like you're getting a desire, a sexual desire fulfilled. And a lot of people can feel that desire. Let's just be honest. 
probably going to feel great with a lot of different people. But when you do chastity and it's like you said, you're dating for, let's just say 12 months, 16 months, 18 months, 24, whatever it is. And you're like, I just love talking to this person. I love being with this person without any of that. Mm -hmm. They're my best friend. Then you get married and you throw that into it. It's like, whoa, wonderful. But it allows you to evaluate. You just want to be with this person without that. And then Mm -hmm. that can be thrown on top of it. You know, I think that... um and I'm no marriage expert, no marriage counselor here, but uh, I think that part of the reason why divorce was so uncommon was because the idea of getting married primarily because of what you felt for a person is relatively new in the history of love. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that people don't fall in love throughout history, but arranged marriage um, is often the case or advised marriage. And if I get married to somebody and begin with an unconditional commitment, right? And that's where I start, no matter whether I'm attracted to them or not. But I'm going to be married to this person, and this is going to be the person, and this is the only person I'm going to be physically intimate with. That has the added kind of bonus of of stimulating attraction. But to get married just because you're attracted to somebody or just because of what you feel, either emotionally or physically, and then try to cobble together a commitment of unconditional love from that. That's part of why we see such a failure rate. It's it's all in fiddler on the roof, right? Do you love me? <laughs> never Do I love you? Well, for 25 years, I've washed your clothes. I fed your kids. Well, maybe I do. They started in commitment and mm-hmm. then let love develop. Now, I'm not advising necessarily that as a model, but that's part of how the dynamics, that's part of how the dynamics of love work. I love it. Well, let's talk about the next clever thing that Screwtape does. Yes. Where he confuses the concept of what charity and unselfish love is. Yes. This to me was brilliant. And I love how, first of all, I, I thought of Tolkien because he says the admirable work, the admirable work, the admirable, <laughs> admirable. <laughs> really, <Matt's> admirable <laughs> work of our philological arm. Mm-hmm. Matt's really struggling with these languages in substituting the negative unselfishness for the enemy's positive charity. This Mm -hmm. whole switching of charity and unselfishness, which essentially switches your focus. I mean, charity is I'm doing X for your good and I delight in seeing the benefit of what this might do for you. Mm -hmm. And there's, there actually is a bit of a, sometimes a selfish thing for doing that, but I delight in the goodness that this brings for you versus the unselfishness. Well, I'm doing this just to be unselfish. It actually drastically switches your focus. You know, it absolutely does. And he says he replaces a negative value or a positive value with a negative value. Mm -hmm. And then the philological, that's that's paying attention to the words. Uh, Lewis says in The Four Loves, can't wait to get to that book, that one of the challenges of a critical mind is not to praise or dispraise, but define and describe. And so when somebody says, I love, I, I love this person, define what you mean. You know, is it unconditional love? I mean, Greek has the four words, you know, agape, philia, storgi, and, and eros. So what do you mean by that? And describe it and what is that like? And he goes a, a long way into this idea of unselfishness. So I won't be selfish. Instead of I will be deliberately charitable, kind, uh, other, uh, other facing, other, other interested. Mm. And what did you make of this next part? I'm going to have to lean on you a good bit here because outside of 
what we've already talked about, really playing with sowing seeds in this disenchanted stage. Then he's really working on changing this language from charity to unselfishness. Mm-hmm. Now he talks about the tool of the differences between the sexes. Mm-hmm. And this is where you and I talked a little bit beforehand where there might be a bit of datedness in this concept, but there's still probably something here we can tease out. Uh, he talks about how they each view unselfishness mm-hmm. differently. There's a diversion. So he says a woman means by unselfishness chiefly taking trouble for others, and a man means not giving trouble to others. Mm-hmm. And so then he says, as a result, a woman who is quite far gone in the enemy's service will make a nuisance of herself on a larger scale than any man except those whom our father has dominated completely. It's mm-hmm. like until the man is fully in, they're, they're too The devil's competing. control. Yeah. Yes. Unpack that a little bit. If you can, not to throw all of that on your shoulders. (laughs) Well, I think that it is a bit dated. But if you think about how people were in England in the late 1930s and the early 1940s, if we contextualize him within his his cultural background, it makes a little bit more self. Um, A woman is chiefly troubling herself for others. And we see pictures of this, you know, and I know we'll talk about this in a little bit, of the, you know, the mother in in the great divorce who troubles herself for everybody. And so to be unselfish means I'm going to take trouble for others and not take trouble for myself. A man means I'm going to be unselfish because I'm not going to give trouble to others. And I think that this is kind of this British reserve where they don't want to put anybody out. And this mm. British female um, enthusiasm to do and do and do and do. This is also at a time where women have not very long been afforded a, an adult, educated, intellectual life. So many women are, you know, housekeepers and things like that. And oh, I work my fingers to the bone. Well, I never asked you to do that. Those are the kind of the, the kind of statements, the character statements of those. That is how I was reading it. Of mm-hmm. I can speak as a man myself. One thing that I hate is to be a burden. Like Mm -hmm. it's a big fear of mine is to be a burden. And if I'm a burden, I'm not going to be loved. So I have to make sure I'm self-sufficient not doing that. And so if my wife was constantly serving me, it would, and she's doing it out of an unselfishness, honestly. Like that's the way she's trying to express her love. Think of like the five love languages or four, five or four, five, 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 five love languages like that. She's expressing it that way, being unselfish. I would probably start developing like a insecurity or a bitterness or a little fear of like, I'm doing this. So the way that I would want to is competing with what she's trying to do for me and show love is, is I'm not receiving it very well. And so I kind of looked at it a bit that way as well from that lens. No, I think that that's, I think that's absolutely right. And the positive virtue of charity, remember, is to go out of myself towards the other. And so rather than the woman, and this is a stereotypical woman from 41, doing everything that, you know, she thinks people want, just asking, what do you want for dinner? Mm -hmm. And then instead of a man trying not to give offense, a man just, you know, or being a burden, to be honest about it, it goes back to that marvelous concept that Steve Beebe shared with us about communication. And I've heard him talk about it in a number of contexts. And to me, it's it's just a prize idea. And one of the things, one of the reasons I treasure Steve so, so, so highly, to be audience-centered. So a woman who's being who's trying to be unselfish by overdoing, overperforming, is not really thinking about the other. 
and what they may need, she's thinking about herself. Aren't I going to look good? Right? Working my fingers to the bone. In the same way, a man who's trying to be unselfish by not giving bother, well, lots of people like to be asked for help. In fact, most people I know would rather be asked for help than do the asking, right? And so maybe you're being selfish by trying to be unselfish and not letting people know what your need is, right? So finding out what the other wants. If I'm around somebody who loves to serve, even if I don't want what they the service that they have, the charitable thing may be to accept the service, right? Or even more charitable, and this is black belt judo uh, charity, would be to say no, but no in a way that was loving and life-affirming and honest. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. Well, now we turn to the part, which we've already somewhat talked about this. We can kind of just touch on a little more about mistaking enchantment for charity. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned this idea, but Lewis brings it up again and kind of unpacks a little bit further, but how in that enchanted stage, I desire to do all of these things for the person that I'm courting. Mm -hmm. And when you desire it and you feel that you want to, is it really charity? I'm not trying to belittle the actions, but it's, it's, it's kind of easy to do. And then all of a sudden later in life, when you really need to do these things, when you don't feel like it, that's when it's real charity. It's like willing the good of the other when you don't feel it. Right. And that's the hard part. Right. And I think that the question, maybe the acid test of, you know, is what am I doing for my beloved um, who I'm courting? Is it charity? Would I do it for the least convenient, ugliest, most offensive uh, enemy that I have? If there's a person that I'm that bugs me, would I go out of my way to do these charitable things? And if I wouldn't, then it's probably not charity. It's probably something else masquerading. And of course, that's that's what screw tape wants. I think it's a great caution that anytime great love is at hand, there's great mischief in play. Um, if we get close to actually loving each other selflessly, either friendship or or affection or romantically, screw tape is going to be on the on the alert. And when we try to love charitably, unselfishly, other-centeredly, Screwtape is really going to try and screw with that. And so we can expect mm -hmm. that to show up when love, when love comes to town. Um, and I think that one of, the, one of the things that can help undo this is to communicate clearly, is to say, this is actually what I want. Even if I don't get it, mm -hmm. here's what I want. Are you willing to do this for me? But asking in such a way that if they say no, you still don't get your feelings hurt. So being honest about it. Hey, I'm going to do this and this and this and this because I love you. Is this what you want? Is this what you need? And once again, it goes back to, to Steve, Stephen Beebe's marvelous concept of being audience-centered. And what Steve means for a communicator or anybody else is just that you are actually being loving. Not me, you. What would do you the best? Uh, the most good. Well, let's turn to some of these long-term consequences because this has been building. I, I noticed <laughs> this when I got to the end of the chapter where it's like stages and stages. And, and actually at some point here, we're going to get to a point where he says like 10 years later, you know, it's, yes. he finally got to what he mentioned at the beginning, sowing the seeds for 10 years, late 10 years later. Yeah. But I, th I thought this, this line here was really interesting. Yeah, I'll tee it up here, but when once a sort of official legal or nominal unselfishness has been established as a rule, now, here we go. A rule for the keeping of which their emotional resources have died away and their spiritual resources have yet have not yet grown. 
So remember, there's like this rule where they're both trying to be unselfish and it's a bit easier in the beginning because their emotional resources of that enchantment that we've been talking about are still there. So they've set this standard, they've treat each other in a certain way, and it's not that hard at this point. Right. But that's starting to die away. Yes. And yet the spiritual hasn't come in. Here's what he says. The most delightful results follow. In discussing any joint action, it becomes obligatory that A should argue in favor of B's supposed wishes and against his own, while B does the opposite. It is often impossible to find out either party's real wishes, which is why you said communication. Yes. With luck, they end up doing something that neither wants, while each feels a glow of self-righteousness and harbors a secret claim to preferential treatment for the unselfishness shown in a secret grudge against the other for the ease with which the sacrifice has been accepted. Yeah. Oh. Well, and I think that what Screwtape wants is for us to have these secret grudges. And I've spoken mm-hmm. to a number of audiences and uh, people who have been married for many years. And I say, do you have it? Does your spouse do any particular thing that just drives you crazy? Does she leave the cabinets open? Does he overspend you know, every month? Are there things that you just know they're going to do and that you afford yourself little resentments? Because what Screwtape wants is the hardening of the heart. The hardening of the heart will eventually make the heart unreachable. And in relationship, whether it's a friendship or any other relationship, our relationship with God, there's not a lot of stasis. We don't just kind of stay the same. Relationships are dynamic things. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to God, when it comes to loving relationship, I really have the choice to either soften my heart or to harden my heart. And it's that uh, a band uh, I know calls it the monumental big decision. T.S. Eliot calls it the the awful daring of the moment's surrender. Mm -hmm. To say, yes, I'm going to give up myself, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Christ by loving somebody else. Or I'll just keep that secret grudge, keep that little resentment. And, and frankly, those little irritations that we cherish against those that we love and we're closest to, those things eventually will bloom full into hate, hatred. Somebody uh, once said that, um, that having an expecta- expectation of somebody is like planting a resentment in the ground and waiting for it to bloom. <laughs> and the resentment is this, it's to, to feel again, re sentire. It means I was offended and I didn't forgive. And so now I pull that offense out and I finger it over and push it to make sure that it still hurts like a scab. And I just cherish that I have been offended. And the fact that we do this against the people that we love most, who love us the most, that really is, is, should sound off alarm bells that screw tapes on the scene. Mm-hmm. And this is just such a good, important lesson to recognize both in marriage, but it's also in your spiritual journey with God, that beginning enchantment stage, when that dies and your emotional resources are falling away, that there's a transition to the spiritual resources. And that means the virtues, the habits that Lewis talks about so much in the screw tape letters need to be formed. And it's going to yes. take time. And there's probably going to be some growing pains in that process. Let's just be real. It's not It's not like a track meet where the baton is passed flawlessly. This is going to have ups and downs. I'm feeling this in my own spiritual life, as we've talked about with, I felt the high in 2016, 17, 15, and then it's just been a little bit tougher, but I've been working on transitioning from 
it was so easy to do spiritual practices back then, and now it's a little mm-hmm. bit tougher, but God's calling me to a different. He's, he's calling me to the virtue and the habit, not action out of feeling. And it takes right. time. And Yeah. Well, and as Lewis says, an action repeated becomes a habit, and then a habit repeated becomes a virtue. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, we're in the we're we just passed the fifth Sunday in Lent, and some of my Lenten disciplines have slipped. Uh, you and I were both talking about that, and it's what Lewis said in early on in Screw Tape. It's when dreaming aspiration turns into laborious doing, and there's not a lot of glamour, there's not a lot of energy. But the thing is, you can start a bonfire with loose newspaper, and you can make it hot and high and bright. But it's going to take a whole lot of newspaper to keep that bonfire going. And in that analogy, the newspaper is the emotional response of being in love. And it's really easy to get to generate all of that energy. But what mm-hmm. we really need to do is have those logs of love, have those, those kind of firm, solid decisions and the commitments and the habits and the virtues of, do, of, of considering somebody else before oneself. Um, and so this enchantment, I think, is kind of like the, the newspaper on the bonfire of love. Mm-hmm. Well, since we have like six, seven minutes left, he gives another example yeah. of like a conflict illustration. We can go through it or we could jump to the conclusion since I'm not sure if there's a lot of new stuff in that section. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it makes sense to go ahead and jump to the con- jump to conclusion. But before we do, I want to remember Larry Crabb. A marvelous mm-hmm. Christian psychologist and author who just passed away on February 28th. And mm-hmm. uh, like so many, I was honored to get to know Larry because of the Oxbridge Conference. And um, his he told Kristen and me while we were having dinner with him and Rachel, or lunch, breakfast with him and Rachel, uh, he said, you know, one of the things we were asking for advice, because it was our honeymoon. So one of the things that Rachel and I have only recently discovered, and it almost wrecked us, he said, I, we've now figured out how to let the other one do the kinds of things they like. Rachel likes to read People magazine. I like to read theology books. That's okay for us to have different likes. And to hear that they went through a struggle with that, and here's this kind of scion of, of healthy Christian relationship, that was really great to hear. And it's thinking about the other. Mm-hmm. So, And now in conclusion, and this I think ties together, uh, Screwtape says, a sensible human once said, if people knew how much ill-feeling unselfishness occasions, it would not be so often recommended from the pulpit. And again, she's the sort of person, the sort of woman who lives for others. You can always tell the others by their hunted expressions. <laughs> Great divorce, anyone? Yes. The mother? <laughs> and I think that reminds us of Minto a little bit. I think that there's a little of that in there. Uh-huh. And I like how he says that we do preach on selfishness a little bit too much and not charity, the negative versus the positive, which we've already talked about, screw tape, that screw tape's doing. Yes. I thought this next part was quite interesting. Yeah. Where he says, all this can be begun even in the period of courtship. And now here's the part I bolded. A little real selfishness on your patient's part is often of less value in the long run for securing his soul than the first beginnings of that elaborate in self-consciousness unselfishness, which may one day blossom into the sort of thing I have described. So he's literally goes so far in saying, actually, a little selfishness is less 
dangerous in our in our courtship than this self-conscious righteousness that we have that's like i'm being unselfish towards you that is more dangerous than selfishness listen i I keep saying it it's the theme of my ministry it's the theme of till we have faces it's lewis's greatest theme it's the theme of love love has to be about turning from myself and turning towards you if i'm thinking about being unselfish I'm thinking about me. If I'm thinking about charity, I'm thinking about what you may want. So the trick of unselfishness is that it's in some cases, as Screwtape's describing it, not unselfish at all. It wow. in fact is a trap door leading right back to our own selfishness. And that's what, that's what the enemy wants. The great sin is pride. The opposite of pride is not humility, but charity. The opposite of pride is love. The opposite of thinking about me is thinking about what and considering what you might want and need. And that's what we have to do. We have to love each other and love God as he has loved us. And you know what I love? The next part he says, above all, don't let the young fools notice them. <laughs> like what we're just talking about. Well, guess what? Thousands of you guys are listening to this right now. So we are noticing it. Let's all take a step back, <laughs> have some self-awareness, recognize, whoo, yeah, this is me. And right away... We're already unscrewing a little screw tape. We are. He says, if they notice them, they will be on the road to discovering that love is not enough. And quote, well, unquote, love. Yes. But uh, William Morris, one of Lewis's big uh, heroes, wrote a poem called Love is Enough. And Lewis quoted a reviewer who said, it's not. <laughs> Only God's love is enough. So, yeah. So let's unscrew some screw tape. What do you think? My first and foremost, and I thought this was the most important one because of what we talked about earlier, that transition from emotional resources that are helpful in the beginning to fostering some action to spiritual resources. So if you want that strength to be able to be charitable to your significant other in the real sense of the word, not the fake unselfishness sense that's self-righteous, it takes spiritual resources. It takes going to the well, being filled up with the divine charity that allows you to then pour it into someone else. Yes. Foster those times. Realize there's nothing selfish about protecting 30 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever you can do of time to be filled up with Christ in the divine spirit. And that will actually help you. David Wilcox has got a marvelous song called Break in the Cup. And he says, you cannot make me happy. That's a money back guarantee. But you can pour (laughs) yourself out till you're empty, trying to be just who I'd want you to be. We cannot trade empty for empty. We must go to the waterfall, for there's a break in the cup that holds love inside us all. And so, yes, we absolutely need to go to the source of love because we can't do it ourselves. We can yes. only hold so much and uh, and give so much until we use his, his love working through us. Mm-hmm. I'll just give my do not and then I'll pass it to you. I'll just do one of each. Do not focus on self-conscious unselfishness. <laughs> because there's a lot of self in that word. Isn't uh-huh. there? Yes. Say that 10 times fast. Well, I'll match your don't. Uh, Don't play games. Be truthful. Speak the truth, even when it makes you look foolish or vulnerable. Be honest. Mm -hmm. And be honest, not trying to manipulate. Ask Mm -hmm. for what you need. If the answer from that person is no, bless them. But be honest about it and don't be be manipulative. Don't 
Don't play games. Say what you really mean. And when my wife and I do this, when we when we you know get all in a huff at each other and we prick the prick the balloon and we let the air out of it and we say, hey, you know, here are the issues that are at play. And when we get to the honest truth, man, that problem just goes away pretty fast. So, what about a do for you? Do I would say do love, do in a real and costly, clean way. Do love forgive, reach out, get over yourself, turn from yourself towards others. Love God, love your neighbor, and do it because of God's great love for you. Grace is costly, not cheap, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Yes. Well, let's end with a do and don't from Philippians 2.3, where St. Paul reminds us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Count others more significant than yourselves. Wait, and uh, I love it. Listeners, thank you again for joining us. Uh, if if you like this, please rate it. That's so helpful for us. Leave a review. We actually really love reading the reviews. They not only help us to improve the podcast if there's any critical feedback, but they also sure. nourish us in this journey. And so we're so grateful for that. We love to interact with you guys. We read every single one of them. Uh, share this with your friends, share this on social media. We'd love to get the word out, get more people falling in love with Lewis. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Pints with Jack is uh, the handle for both of those. Uh, if you feel called, your support and Patreon has just been always a blessing. Uh, you can join our Slack community if you do the tech tier above. And so thank you for that, guys. And join us next week when we will be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.